My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. Right from the top of Labyrinthitis, the 13th album, from our guest today, new wave art rock master Dan Behar of Destroyer, you get an example of what makes him such a compelling artist. It's in the way the beat stutters in, interrupting a previously established groove. Uh, But rather than feeling like an intrusion, it feels like a weird blooming. And uh, from there, the song builds in layers of Cure-esque guitar and cascading synths. All the while, Behar, of course, doing the signature thing he does vocally and lyrically over the top of it. The album, and I'm not going to go out of my way to keep saying the title, it's very hard to say, is yet another killer uh, from Behar. There, there aren't a lot of artists who, in my eyes, you know, there, there aren't a lot of artists who just don't seem to miss the way he, he, uh, he doesn't. Because it's been however many great records in a row. And this one is really fantastic um this is my second time interviewing him for aquarium drunker but it's his first appearance here on transmissions i was really nervous that first time he has a way with words that can be very intimidating which of course makes all of his dark pop you know art pop so good but um i really didn't want to look stupid in front of the guy and uh the good news is i went into this talk a lot less nervous because he isn't actually difficult to talk to uh it's the opposite in fact and it was really great to talk with him about the perils of making uh this great record plus uh clubbing this night uh the virtues of being a dilettante new metal we got into new metal uh van morrison new order and a lot more but before we get into that uh we've got a word here from our sponsor this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Check them out at betterhelp.com slash aquariumdrunkard. Uh, the best way to think about therapy is through uh, the idea of thinking about maintenance. We get our cars tuned up to prevent bigger issues down the road. We get annual checkups at the doctor and go to the gym to maintain our physical wellness. We do chores regularly to avoid a giant mess of a house and gross bugs. Going to therapy is is like this. It's routine maintenance for your mental and emotional wellness, and it helps prevent bigger issues down the line. Going to therapy does not mean something's wrong with you. It means you're investing uh, in yourself to keep your mind healthy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist in under 48 hours. 
Why invest in everything else and not your mind? This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Aquarium Drunkard listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash aquarium drunkard. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash aquarium drunkard. We thank BetterHelp for sponsoring the show. Dan, welcome to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, good to be here. Uh, so the new record rules. Um, congratulations on making another another great one. At this point, I feel like you release Destroyer records so regularly. Um, are you just writing all the time? Is that how is is that what it's like for you these days? Um, I mean, I feel like I write so much slower than I used to, you know? Really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, compared to 20 years ago, um, or 25 years ago when all I did was just sit around and write songs, like some kind of sickness. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really, it's, it's pretty slow. Um, but it's kind of more like strategical hits, you know? Yeah. Not as in, not as in creating hits, but as in, um, um, I guess in the military sense of blowing things up. (laughs) Do you, do you tend to write with like albums in mind these days? Uh, like do songs feel grouped that way or, or do they just come? And then when you have the right amount or the right combination of material, you think, okay, now it's, now it's a record somehow. I mean, I think, uh, I like, I think chronology kind of takes care of that. You know, they usually come as a lump. Yeah. Um, and you can detect specific hangups in that lump. Um, and that will be the theme. There's generally like the songs which get written. And then there's kind of like an initial idea or concept which will spark, you know, which will like say the last couple of records I've made in close collaboration with John and Collins and uh um you know we'll have there'll be something that just gets us talking a lot about a record yeah and what it could sound like I mean in both cases of this record and probably the last record that idea fell by the wayside pretty fast but it just kind of gets things going yeah yeah you've you I mean you've been working with John for a long time now right I mean uh i think it was in fall of 1996 that i went into a a basement studio to record the second destroyer album the first one was just a four track record i did and um that studio is john collins and dave carswell's studio (laughs) they call it jcdc and they it kind of floated around for 20 years after that um so yeah, it's been over twenty five years. I mean, John was a stranger to me. That's how I met him. Yeah, yeah. I I feel like both this record, which and I want to okay, I want to make sure I'm saying it right. It's Labyrinth 
Labyrinth labyrinthitis. It's a really difficult one for me to say right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I like that's a that's me stumbling on a onto a word on the internet that I had to look at it like a few times before I was convinced that it wasn't um, a fake word or someone someone's made up word. I I almost assumed that it was. Uh, yeah, yeah. Until it, just it, now, it's it feels like a like a like a invention, you know, that suits the sort yeah. of twisted narrative this of this record but yeah that's it's a well it's a good album title that's for sure because like it grabs the eyes yeah i mean you know that's me usually i just go for what the letters look like strung together or what it sounds like for the most part but um you know i kept going back to it it stuck it stuck with me and and the more we worked on the record the more um the more it seemed to fit yeah well, the 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 record's awesome, and I feel like the last, along with with Have We Met, there is there's a dancey there's a dancey quality, obviously, to it. There's sort of a, an engagement with stuff, and I read in the, in the bio that you talked a lot about sort of your your clubbing days, or not <laughs> clubbing days is the wrong way to put it. Uh, that you you would go dancing, you know, uh, when you when you were younger. Is that is that the is I, that the way to put it? I haven't read that bias. That's in, that's funny <laughs> to me. Actually, that's insane. Did you did you not have sort of like a because you 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 talked about how you remember going to clubs? They were punk clubs in your case, is what you said. But I mean, I I think I remember. I kind of remember going to. Um, a couple clubs in Vancouver where you would go and it, it was kind of, they were kind of like, they would play more of the standard, um, you know, they would just kind of play UK indie music with a, which at the time had a vaguely dancey beat. Yeah. Um, and you know, bands were still making, were putting out songs and then putting out 12 inch versions of that song. Right. Um, you know, in theory you could dance to ride, I guess. I, um, <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> But it's not. I don't think it will make sense at, in this day and age as like a an, a true experience of club music. And I never really had um, any history with kind of like the raver culture of of the early '90s. I mean, because here in Vancouver, it was, it was so weird. Um, I went to a couple, but definitely by the time I was into going to bars, I was just going to punk shows yeah so really i don't have like more of my experience in clubs would be like going to um spain in the summer as a as a teenager and going to weird like um like corny clubs on the beach with no roof yeah you know and just them playing like euro euro disco hits neuro club hits yeah i don't know how much that ever seeped into me um but I, f- I feel like, which doesn't mean that, like, uh, which doesn't mean that I didn't listen to, like, New Order a lot or something like that you, when I was a teenager. They're kind of two different things, you know? Well, yeah, sure. Well, I want to ask more, so, because one of the things, you talked about how you and John will sometimes have a concept that gets the album going, and then you abandon mm-hmm. that, you know, sort of, and move yeah. move on. Was that initial idea for this record uh, sort of sort oh, yeah, of a, yeah, a, a yeah. dancey, disco-y kind of thing? 
yes, to make music that none of us, like neither of us had any experience <laughs> with whatsoever. We didn't want to make uh, um, like indie, like we didn't want to make Manchester music. We wanted to make like a proper house record or proper like slamming four on the floor techno record. I mean, the other idea was just making like uh, a share style record, just like relentless high energy record. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's kind of hard to do that stuff, even if you really like production challenges. If you don't have like a shared history with the music, it it never, at least in my case and in our case, it never really works out. You know, like cut to the, like, I think the idea of making, what was that? I can't even remember what the scheme was with Have We Met. I think I talked, I paid a lot of lip service of making a, a trip hop record. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I barely really knew what that meant. It was more like trying to imagine music in a, from like the public spaces that you remember from a certain time in your life and trip hop being kind of a sound that you kind of recall, but you don't, you don't have like the lived experience of it. Yeah. And so, and, and so, you know, those ideas fall apart real fast. But what's i mean where where do they come from initially you know what i mean like does it does an idea get in your head and i mean because there is a dancey quality to the record right there is like a rhythmic quality especially like right it's like it opens in kind of like a, a more collagey style and i feel like the first half of the record is a little bit more amorphous and then it kind of locks into a, a kind of a dance groove for a few songs on the second side and i i found myself thinking like it's not a a complete straight electronic record you know i don't think that that's something that ultimately you would probably make because there's so many other qualities in your songs that end up exhibiting themselves but but it is there you know like that that quality is part of it so so i wonder if like you know you were making this record over the course of 2020 and 2021 is that right I think it was, you know, kind of written over the course of 2020 and made over the course of 2021. I Yeah. At the risk of like saying like it's so weird right to talk about like the pandemic and stuff right now because mm-hmm. it's this thing where it's like it's become this narrative that we all share but not, nobody really knows how to talk about it or wants to talk about it or wants to discuss like necessarily any any record that got made during that time has this like w- like nobody wants to refer to their record as a pandemic record and they shouldn't have to because you were just making a record right like right yeah but i do wonder especially when you're you know sort of making something that is mo- more overtly dancey and is playing with rhythm in a, in a really interesting way if there is some sort of like rationale like what what was it that sort of was leading you to these sort of more basically funky sort of templates you know to explore yeah 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 it's it's a good question i mean sometimes i just hear something and it just like it just sticks with me and i can't shake it yeah um i there's things there's some basic things like i've thought that my voice sounds better my singing style seems to do better with a steady beat um, which is weird because that's not really something that I explored too much for the first eight Destroyer albums. No, but I mean, it's really dominated the second 
but it's you know, kind of dominated the last decade. yeah the last 10 12 years yeah mm-hmm. seems to be like I, I feel like it gives me a bit more leeway to duck and like to duck and weave you know because i don't have much sustain in my voice um so it's all like phrasing and diction and if you have something steady going on and space around the beats then it just like um it gives me a lot of wiggle room uh especially because i've been singing you know quieter these last few years and there's less words yeah um so i mean in labyrinthitis is in my mind relentlessly upbeat just tempo wise i can't think of another destroy record that comes close to it like have we met in comparison has a lot of downtime and a lot of space right um and i don't know if that's that's kind of was a conscious decision um there was kind of a conscious decision to be like make mixes that were really disorienting um that just had a lot of borderline cartoonish shit going on a lot of the times um it's not it's not i don't find it like that dancey for my version because i still have this idea of just like um it's kind of a minimal techno record in my head and it's definitely not that i mean it's kind of the most the band has been on one of a, a destroyer album probably since poison season you know like six or seven years right it's like they're, they're on there a lot josh's josh's drums are um really in your face and really like uh pretty distinct and pretty weird um and you know carswell plays a ton of guitar all over the place so it's kind of a dance rock record in that sense it is like yeah which is <laughs> in that sense it really is like late 80s early 90s style uh uh of that kind of uk indie music that maybe i want to go um get loaded to a little bit I feel like that stuff is sort of there's like a resurgence of interest in that right and it's like it I don't know if it's just like if if this is accurate or if it's something that I'm sort of like imagining but it feels like there's these sort of like periods where indie rock is particularly not dancey and then sort of enters these moments where people are a little bit more interested in sort of a danceability and I'm using that in the most general term right because you're 100% right it's not like you didn't make a minimal you know techno record it's not like a house it's yeah. not a house thing but but it does have that up that upbeatness to it and it's interesting have we met was i loved have we met so as well, i mean really the truth is like not blowing smoke your way like you've been on like this incredible tear for like you said the last 12 years or so i mean um and i loved the records before that too you know so it's like you've been on this like pretty incredible streak have we met was pre-pandemic that was like my soundtrack it's kind of funny to think that it came out in 2020 but it feels like it came out in 2019 due to the weird shifting of like you know perceptions or whatever but yeah yeah but my wife and i were lucky enough to go on a trip right before the pandemic and we were on uh, the island of Kauai in Hawaii and listening to Have We Met, um, which is, I guess, our version of a tropical record for some reason. Um, <laughs> but I loved, I love it so much, right? And but comparing it to this one, it definitely is a little bit more subdued, a little bit slower. So it's interesting to hear you guys like on this new record, Tintoretto for you. Uh, it's for you. It almost sounds like. 
like Depeche Mode or something. You know what I mean? Like when it when when that heavy synth comes in, yeah. There's so much swagger. I mean, that must have felt felt incredibly badass. You know, to sing over. It it wasn't. It was super. It freaked me out because uh, all, all all the vocals were done. So for have we met and for this record as well um and kind of like for the last few years i kind of start working on a song once i can sing it from beginning to end acapella yeah so i think tintoretto is for you was really way more of like a kind of barfly lounge lizard style song like um almost tom waitsy yeah or i think when i first pitched it to john it was like this is kind of like a Warren Zevon style song that it should be more like Warren Zevon meets like system of a down or something like that. <laughs> I feel like, is that really, is that end, really what you said? You think? Yes. Yeah. It's like, I think it could have like an industrial, like mall metal or like kind of like a pop industrial, or I don't know. I'm not sure. I can't remember my exact words. Sure. Sure. And we, maybe we, we wanted, I wanted it to be heavy and I didn't want it to sound like the welcome back Cotter theme, but it's the most it's super outside of my comfort zone i felt nauseous when i first heard what he started to do with it and the nausea just built from there once josh got his drums on there i was like it sounds like when I, you just listen to drums by themselves it like, sounds like corn or something <laughs> uh the, the finished product reminds me like of, of like ramstein i don't know sure um, sure I, I can i can definitely see that yeah there's 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 like you know, have we met is still close enough that I can still I can still compare the records pretty easily, and it it now feels like way more intimate and personal. Things I didn't really um, associate with it at the time, in comparison with Labyrinthitis, which is, has just like moments of music, whether it's Tintoretto or the song um, June, especially the second half, just like. I don't know, like the the gulf between my initial demos or whatever you want to call them and the finished product can get the gulf can get pretty wide. Sure, but this was this was nuts. This is like music, music happening that I didn't I had never foresaw. <laughs> is is that does that fill you with like excitement or is there a sense of because like when you say like there's nausea, you know, <laughs> um, as an artist you know you're keenly you know being an artist requires that you are sort of in touch with the side of you that is intuitive enough to say i'm going to chase this idea or this idea is not the right move you know and i and i wonder if you feel nauseous you know is there like a fear that like this is not going to work uh yes yeah yeah so how yeah. so how do, how do, how do you push through that and, and and what or what is it what is what's required to push through that for you to push through i feel like say in the in the case of tintoretto it's for you john's vision was so punishing and so exact that i kind of got swept up in the momentum of it even though and the overall vibe of it yeah. seemed very perverse to me in a destroyer context which i liked even if musically it seems super alienating to find my voice in there. Yeah. Um, 
in the case of like say a song like june where um i i do about two and a half minutes of what you would call i don't know what you would call it was it be spoken word would it be rapping anyway like me way outside of my yeah. comfort comfort uh area yeah and really um yeah really unsure of myself doing it aside from the fact that i'm really unsure of the idea just because i've never done it oddly enough with that, that song even though it also made me sick doing it or thinking about it it the that style of writing and that kind of st style of like strange flat narration was really liberating it kind of made me think oh i could do more of this um so that there's surprises like that as well as just um as well as also just being completely unsure that something's gonna work you know destroyer records you you, you don't stick with a template you know i i was listening to this night as well to get ready for this talk because that's that album's turning you know 20 years old right this yeah. year which is crazy to think about um but i i obviously like destroyer records they you've never been seemingly from the outside afraid to just like jettison whatever formula might be in place you know um or if there are any formulas because of the uniqueness of your voice and and the character of your voice and the character of your writing lyrically you mentioned that something sounded perverse in the context of a Destroyer record, and I'm like, that's my favorite thing about Destroyer records is there's always like these weird little moments of like perverse humor or sincerity or whatever, like these moments that just feel completely unexpected. And this record has a bunch of those. Um, but you know, it seems to me like you've never really been afraid to have destroyer become something completely different and this far into your career to have moments where you're still like yeah i don't even know if this is going to work for this project that must be exciting and i think maybe speak to is it like a self challenge you know a self challenging aspect for you i mean and that, i think that makes it sound too heroic <laughs> it's heroic like... you're a heroic songwriter man i i feel like I, f I feel like anyone who plays in the band and I mean, as far as like me doing these about faces for every album, I think that's been played up a little. If you really look at the records and listen to them and also look at the credits, you'll see like, um, it's a pretty steady crew of faces at this point. Yeah. And they all have their distinct way of playing their distinct way of, um, producing a record or mixing a record uh if you ever have the if you ever play in the destroyer band you'll see that there's a lot of overlap in the songs um i have like as a lyricist i really have three or four hang-ups tops um so it's not i don't think it's that conscious it's more when it comes to the music part because like i said the songs just get written and then it's like oh Oh fuck! I guess I'll, you know, I'll. I mean, I can't procrastinate any longer. If this is going to be a song, I have to figure out how the chords go, right? And I have to figure out some basic arrangement. And then after that, it's like, okay, I guess we're going to start trying to turn this into into music. Either, yeah, 
this kind of back and forth um, relationship that I've had with John for the last couple of records or, um, you know, like for Poison Season, just playing the songs for the band and us, you know, basically jamming on them until it was time to go in a studio and record them. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like there's a lot of consistencies and this is like the music is a strange, it's the one kind of really dilettante-ish dabbler part of, part of the group, which I think is maybe um, what some people like and what other people don't like about it. I think it's a source of strength in terms of when you combine that with, like I said, the specificity of your of your style, you know? I mean, it's like, to me, I mean, I would never have expected, like, System of a Down to come up in the discussions, you know what I mean? And, and I'm torn, right? Because, like, on one hand, I want to ask you a bunch of questions about New Order. Uh, and then on the other hand, now, I just want to ask you about New Metal and ask you who your favorite New Metal bands are. And I don't have I don't have one because I don't know it. <laughs> yeah, like I, it would be a short conversation. Well, yeah, and I people would probably be pretty pretty bummed out that I decided to spend my uh, Destroyer <laughs> interview asking you how you feel about POD or whatever. Um, right. I'm sure you heard that stuff like just in passing and at the time, right? Like when coming out of you know various windows or whatever, but. But I th- I remember like the Woodstock like I remember generally having an idea of like the kind of music that was happening at Woodstock '99 say yeah um, and it's true that once in a while with Destroyer I've had like I for some reason I want to take something that I see as more or less evil and bring it into the fold and see if it can get used somehow. Hey, you're listening to Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. We'll be right back. But first, a word from our sponsor. Okay. So. Hello. Today. 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 Every day on Radiolab. We we have have the the story story as old as time. Uh, this story begins. I guess you could say with a mystery. Slippery mystery. It's like a. A journey. About. This thing. Birds. Money. Spicy science. Man versus animal. An emergency room doctor. Crap. Non-fiction. It's Radiolab. Take me away. Yes. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. So we should ask about about New Order, uh, because I I feel like they are a constant touchstone at this point, you know, or or not a constant touchstone, but have been, you can hear the reference point, and and I'm a huge New Order fan, so to me, it's this beautiful mix of like, Really interesting, but sometimes very simple melodies uh, paired with the great sort of rhythm side of things and the sort of like charging ahead rhythmic rhythmic elements. But then, then there's also this like weird elegance and like romantic doomed elegance that I that I hear in that stuff. I hear that in your your work, too. When we talked about Ken, we talked a little bit about that sort of like the the feeling of like say sophistopop or whatever you might say um how, how did you first how did you first encounter the work of new order i mean was it just on the radio were you just listening as a as a fan or how did you kind of get into them what were you into when you discovered them other than them i think that's just like my history of becoming a music fan kind of starts with them yeah like as far as being 13 
am just it it slowly as in slow slowly as in it took a few months for me to decide this was maybe the most important thing to me not new order specifically but all of a sudden like music music became a really big deal uh and for some reason that's kind of a style of music that spoke to me um more than others i guess new order and the cure and just you know stuff like that that was like yes it was like popular on college college radio you'd hear it on john hughes soundtracks so it was like if you were young it was out there it was really british sounding which for some reason i was like the kind of uh lyrical quality of the british of like melodies of british bands yeah yeah more than more than the american ones um i liked how it was kind of dancey but still dark and kind of rock based and forlorn um it's like groovy sad sack music which spoke to me yeah um and probably without realizing it, there was something about uh, Bernard as a singer that, as someone who wouldn't even try to sing for another 10 years, uh, got under my skin. Because um, it was a strange voice to hear. It was, like, really punk. Yeah. Really bad. Really bad. Uh <laughs> Like way he was cons- like a w- way more of like oh shit that guy's singing like that yeah. than you'd hear in many many punk rock bands like who had way better singers, way stronger singers, um just like in the in the technical sense. So it was weird to hear like this really exposed, um, barely singing voice over top of these fairly lavish productions. Yeah. You know, there's some a, kind of a real dissonance there. I mean, I guess it kind of reminds you of like that. Maybe that's what listening to like Lou Reed's Berlin is like. Um, but it it was a diff, it was a different generation. It wasn't like it didn't come off as singer songwriter. It came off as something else. Yeah. So I don't know. That's the beginning of my history with that group, and I kind of like tucked it away from when I first started getting into doing music in the early not like in 93 or something like that 94 like basically once slana and Chana came out i stopped listening to uk music yeah um which before was all i listened to and it was just american rock at that point for a while it was just like it was just like indie rock yeah which in the early 90s was pretty american and then when i really started doing destroyer i just i just listen to older music for the most part like yeah you know that's when i get really into like roxy music or mata hoople or something but um yeah i don't know i guess it's around the time of kaput where i started going back to those things i guess stuff that had more of a new wave sound i guess you'd call it for better or for worse yeah um, and i haven't really looked back um i can hear new order in records before destroy records before then even like on this night there's a couple songs and even spots in your blues yeah and stuff where, where, where we sound like a where we sound like a folk rock band but um 
there's like a lilt to it that is still kind of new order, you know? Yeah, I I'm, I think, yeah, now that you mention it, I even hear like, like painter in your pocket from Ruby's. You can almost yeah. hear that same, you know, it's like, yeah, totally. That could that yeah. could be that could be a new order thing. I don't think I was I don't think I was conscious of, of it at the time, you know, because that's I was like that was a point where I was just like so knee deep in just like I don't know, like street legal or like seventies uh, Van Morrison stuff like that. You, but, you know, you know the the grain of it was in me. You can hear it in the melody. Is the way I sing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm and I, it's funny. I'm glad you brought Van Morrison up because. Two, well, two things. One, uh, when Have We Met came out, you did an interview with Charlie uh, Ruddle for Aquarium Drunkard where um, you talked about the movie uh, Until the End of the World. Um, and and so I watched, that was my first pandemic movie. I was like, finally, I have time to watch this movie because it's like, you know, five hours long or whatever. Five hours long, yeah. And so I was like, finally, I have time. And one, I love that film. It's an incredible movie. It's also an incredible soundtrack, right? Yeah. I mean, I kind of remember the soundtrack more than the two and a half hour version. Yeah. Of movie. Like the two and a half hour version, it was like, that was more of like an ambient memory that I really liked. Yeah. But I couldn't... I didn't couldn't remember it specifically well. I remember the soundtrack actually really well. Well, it's got there's a great version of the song Blood of Eden, Peter Gabriel with Sinead O'Connor and it's incredible. So I was like yeah, I, yeah. I fell so deeply in love with that version of the song, not the normal version quite so much, but the one with the two of them. Mm-hmm. It also put me on yeah. a total 90s era U2 kick, which I know is not everybody's cup of tea, but man, I find those records very interesting sonically talk about some of the i mean that could be as much as i don't want it to be that could be kind of a i don't want to talk about it too much because it'll make me feel bad about myself (laughs) but i would have i would lie if it wasn't if it wasn't something that came up in the making of labyrinthitis which was like a little what what was that U2 sound from yeah. that kind of era or the you know early to mid 90s what exactly was going on there i i'm i'm reading a book i'm almost done with it it's it's like called like U2 at the end of the world and first off it's just crazy to read about the 90s because they feel like they were 100 years ago and like and like the, the descriptions of this tour feel like they're describing another planet you know what i mean like in terms of just like money and the kind of access that journalists have to them and like politicians showing up to like talk with bond just all this like weird shit or whatever there's that but i do think that there's something incredible happening on those records rhythmically i think they're going interesting places it's clear that they wanted to push themselves in new directions you know the whole reason I brought this up, though, by the way, was to bring up Van Morrison, who okay, yeah, <laughs> who has made an appearance in the book as well, of course. Uh, and he's like pretty like he likes you two just fine, but it being Van Morrison, he's also a little bit dismissive, and he's also like they're stealing my sound, which course, everybody yeah. has stolen Van Morrison's sound in his yes, in his yeah. in his time. But at the start of the pandemic, way before he started going on and on about you know vaccines and lockdowns. Mm-hmm. I just found myself turning to those 80s era Van Morrison records for uh, 
for comfort, like especially inarticulate speech of the heart. Oh yeah. And yeah. listening to that, I was like, oh shit, I think there's some, this has some similarities with Destroyer Records too. You know what I mean? This sort of like, yeah. this beautiful synthetic quality. And then the saxes and stuff on those records and flutes, they do sound like Roxy music. You know what I mean? Like it's a really interesting thing that, that whole era. And so yeah, I yeah. just wonder, I mean, is that, was that something where like you found yourself with your, like, let's say your Van Morrison fandom specifically, do you have records that you're like, these are always the Van records I go to, or do you find yourself sort of sampling throughout the discography? I mean, I kind of promised myself I'd stop giving too much airtime to Van Morrison. Sorry. But I, I will <laughs> it's, say... It's him or you too. It's up to you, man. You can... <laughs> yeah, it's like I really painted myself into this despicable corner. Um, Very Irish. I guess, yeah. Um, I haven't been listening to Van too much I, over the last few years. It's kind of been bugging me how he's ended up. Yeah. But um, when I first... So... I always liked him fine. I think I had a copy of Astral Weeks. Mm-hmm. And I remember Moondance as music I recognized from just as a child, basically. Uh, and, but it wasn't really until I think probably mid-2000s where I really started getting into his his 70s records. I mean, he has like yeah. that one strong records that is just like an kind of a really impressive uh run yeah um for me kind of culminating in beating fleece gorgeous record uh, which is one i which is unfortunately one of my favorite records of all time um <laughs> it's i i love that album yeah. yeah and then i kind of i really got into um yeah, I think some of his 80s records really kind of took me by surprise. You know, I, I remember really liking Poetic Champions Compose and working my way back from there and realizing how how deep he kind of went into uh, this, kind of, this kind of new wave mystical vibe. Yeah, it's like it's uh, like new age with like a weird it. Yeah, they're weird records. Like, I think that's part yeah. of why I like them so much. Yeah, so I think I probably was listening to some of that um that sound when when we were f- first working on Kaput. Yeah. Um you know, Kaput the focus was always to be groovy in a way that those records aren't really um cuz I was so obsessed with Avalon, which I didn't realize is kind of the same thing as being obsessed with Chic. Um but then later on, I did really, really get into this record called Born Sing No Plan B, which I've kind of gone on about in the past. There's a handful of songs on there, which um, I do go back to. Uh, I, would, I would listen to a lot. Yeah. Um, I think I listened to Hymns to the Silence quite a bit. I, re- I um, really like that record, too, actually. Yeah, it's kind of, there's a lot on there, but the stuff that I like, I like a lot. Uh, there's kind of a gray area for me, I guess, which would be pretty big. I mean, really, um, 
like between hymns the silence and born to sing no plan b that's kind of a 20-year gap where i know bits and pieces but not not, not nothing that i i go i go back to steadily yeah i think of i think of the way especially on those more gauzy records you know like his voice has like a very specific quality kind of in this weird world of synths and a band playing. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think, you know, you could sort of see that like on Labyrinthitis as well, this sort of like you're this voice that's like in this big, sometimes very clamorous world, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't sound, yeah. it doesn't sound the same way to, it doesn't remind me of those like eighties Van Morrison records, the way parts of Kaput kind of, do it doesn't remind me of that but but that quality right like your voice the sort of lone voice in this like big vast sonic world is a really cool thing that i there's a definitely a disembodied quality to my voice in labyrinthitis i mean that's kind of been i feel like that's been a quality on other destroyer records but i feel like it's really amped up yeah on on this one um like where I, my voice is kind of will drift over like a really clattering chugging rhythm or um you know it seems to be operating outside of things a little, little bit yeah i i mean i like that and i think that it it kind of it speaks well to these weird times we live in where that's sort of the way like everyday life sometimes has started to feel you know what i mean where it's like yeah these big things are going on and you're in there but where are we in this mix you know um something else from that that great interview that i i, I quoted or talked about earlier you said something like and this is again early 2020 that you you saw yourself as a more hopeful person than you used to be at the the start of 2020. I wonder has that changed uh or or you know is it harder to resist like pessimism these days because I feel like on this record there are there are always lyrics, you know, Destroyer Records always had a few lyrics that feel like little like stabs into the heart and i mean that in a in a positive way you know yeah but i i just i wonder if if that sort of um the music doesn't feel pessimistic because it's so boisterous at times you know and i just wonder yeah. if that's like if you feel sometimes comfortable letting the music be the whatever the more hopeful part of a thing versus your your lyric or or how you look to seek any sort of balance in that in that mix Right. Yeah, I mean, that's always been something where, like, the lyric has been melancholic mm-hmm. and the music is um, somehow buoyant. Yeah. Uh, I would say for me, I mean, it's early on, but one of the things that weirds me out about Labyrinthitis <laughs> is I feel like it has, a, aside from the first song and the last song, there's kind of like an absence of melancholy. Yeah. It's it feels darker, even though the music is like in some ways relentlessly celebratory in ways that I didn't see coming. There's such a dissonance between what I'm saying, uh, which is sometimes like spoken from the point of view of a villain, 
actually more times than not a more like more often than not i would say there's something like kind of cackling and filled with like petty jokes the pettiness there's a petty jokes petty stabs rubbing people's face and suffering i think of that snowman line as one of those oh yeah like there's the that one <laughs> people like to point out about, about like um a, what is the line a snow angel is just a fucking idiot somebody made and then i repeat it just to get the point across yeah and then i think you and say really and like, then you say that someone made in the snow which is one of right, my, i think that's idiot. one of the someone made in the snow. that's one of the funniest things to me is the in the snow part um i don't know <laughs> yeah. why you know at the second part but anyway yeah no that that one and then i think about like yeah in tintoretto uh, it's for you i think you have the like what do you call it when every part of the bird is used so i i hear like the menace that you're talking about the sort of villain character seems very like it's definitely like a writing tool or something not that i i, I can't call it a writing tool because i'm forced i can't i can't sit down and think about how to write and then write it just kind of yeah, comes right. out but definitely on these songs it seems like for me that's why it's kind of a feel bad record is that the the singers it seems like brittle more brittle sharper not in the sense of smart but in the sense of like pointed yeah uh, and uh yeah just kind of mean mean-spirited um i don't know what that's about <laughs> i don't know what's and so I, I, that's not something i usually inhabit so wholly and maybe that's so maybe to answer your question, maybe if I said I felt more hopeful uh, at during that interview, um, right in the early part of 2020, uh, maybe this is the crushing turnaround. But hopefully, I'll come out of it or snap out of it. Do you, uh, do you feel do you feel hopeful on a personal level more often? I mean, are you do are you doing okay? <laughs> I'm doing good. Yeah, I'm doing. I'm fine. Like I'm not. I, you don't need to worry about me. Good. I, um, I won't. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like the record, even in the music, to me, even though it has a lot of uh, upbeat qualities, um, it seems agitated. It seems nervous. Yeah. It seems like extra jittery in ways we've never been as a band uh i'm not sure if it's the sound of someone pacing in a room i don't know if that's what it sounds like but it's like it's also the like the purest expression of um john's particular um like mad scientist psychosis when he's staring at a screen with music on it like I don't know if there's a pure expression of his of his will out there <laughs> floating around. That's really um, more than more than previous records we've done. I and maybe more than you know the first three new pornographers records that he produced. It's like it's pretty speedy, yeah. Uh, um, and kind of vertigo inducing. Not to hype the title of the album, but like for me anyway. Maybe I'm just like. Um, maybe I'm just old, but he's older. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, like when we talked about art and noise and Trevor Horn and the kind of like seasick, but relentless arrangements that he would come up with. It's like, it really gave, it, 
that really gave us license to to kind of pull some of that shit. You know, I had never really listened much to Art of Noise, but I did, you know, reading them as a reference point for this record and went mm-hmm. and listened to stuff and it's it's awesome. One, it's always crazy that Lowell is it Lowell Cream uh from 10cc, he shows up in like Art of Noise. I feel like he shows up in like every thing that I start paying attention to it's like and then and then the guy from 10cc showed up you know or or yeah or provided like a synthesizer that was used or or whatever but um that's that's interesting music and it, and it is it does would you say this is a record where John gets more say than he normally would on a destroyer record I think it's not I don't know if say is the right word yeah but it he was working in isolation like we were all working in isolation mm-hmm. um i feel like there was probably less back and forth than there was with have we met and i didn't like really get a chance to go over and just um you know pace behind his back as much as i normally would. right yeah 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 um but i mean i was just kind of swept up in it um you know, there's things like, like the song June was just supposed to be a three minute song. It was just supposed to be this, that was the song as, as totally strange as that seems in, in retrospect. And he just came up with this entirely second half, the sort of like extra collage, extra three minutes of music, yeah. uh, you know, based on some little chord progression in, in the, in the first part of the song, I was like, that has to be that has to be in that has to be in the song that has to be the song you know and i got to do something yeah and uh which forced me to come up and sing a bunch of words that really i mean that's the kind of stuff that never makes it into a destroyer song um i have you know i got pages of that shit yeah and it's just like usually deemed unsingable or not melodic language right so it's fun to it was fun to trot it out even though kind of scary um, and so there's like, I think there's examples of that, of him just like really, really pushing things. Um, and just, and me like, just, just, just like basically getting swept up in the ride. Yeah. What, what it also the more, the more, uh, and to be honest, the more that people sent in their stuff just like songs really started to take different shapes as well. It's not, it wasn't just, yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Uh, That said, the record ends with like a very solitary moment. You know, the last song is this Mm -hmm. sort of like, uh, you know, the electronics fall away and it's just you for the most part. Is that you? Are you playing everything on it? That's just me on a guitar. And then, yeah, that's like, I think maybe John opened it for like, two minutes threw a bit of reverb on there because yeah. he was scared how dry it was yeah. and you know and then shut it down it's kind of been a minute since there's been like a destroyer song that is just you right yeah i mean some people thought that song was like 20 or 20 like was from the 90s or something yeah That's, i don't know if it sounds aside from the fact that it's just me on a guitar i don't know if it really sounds like the kind of song i would write back then but yeah, it kind of came up out of nowhere because I pick up the guitar, you know, once every seven years or so. I, I don't touch it. I don't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Yeah. Um, 
does it call to you? Is that what it was? What did, I mean, did you just feel? I mean, what what happens? You know, what causes it? There was like a, there was like a, uh, there was kind of a lilt to that song that made me think, oh, it just has to be what it wants to be. Yeah. And also, I was like, I needed, I needed to ground myself. I was pretty lost in the record, uh, and I needed. It's not a sense of closure, but I needed like some kind of punctuation at the end of things because it, otherwise it felt like this just this drift that could go on forever. You know, the songs um, were hard to figure out as to how they should begin, if where they should end, if they should end. Yeah. Um, it was it's the last song I wrote, and. I wasn't feeling like I had another song in me after that. And I liked that idea. Um, and it was kind of a really like solemn song, um, but it has a little bit of a sing-along feeling. It's it's uh, really, it's really nice. It. And I find it funny too, in its own little way, right? Because it's not like, I mean, you're talking about an explosion's work worth a thousand different words, you know? And that's, as somebody whose songs can sometimes have a lot of lyrics you know like there's there's something yeah. kind of like knowing to it but it also like you said it feels very it's a nice little moment of like tenderness in this thing that is mostly yeah. not particularly tender you know what i mean yeah yes i think i craved that um i don't think i wrote it thinking that the album needed that but i wrote it and looked at it and saw it as giving the record that moment just like and i uh, just a pause and just like a breath, you know? Um, yeah. Cause it, it, the record in the guts of the record, um, feel really claustrophobic to me. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, with this, are, are, have you started working out how you're going to play these songs live yet? Has there been any, have you figured? Uh, we haven't, we haven't, uh, we haven't all been in the room together since the band, um, you know, walked out of our Nat our Nashville show, in, I think, which was March thirteenth, twenty twenty. Yeah. Oof. Um, and then we canceled the last week of our tour, and we just made a beeline for home, trying to get the bus across the border. Yeah. But uh, some of us just flew, flew, flew up from Nashville. So yeah, we haven't all been together in a couple of years. And the band's a little scattered. I mean, Josh moved to Chicago. Teddy now lives in Los Angeles. So, yeah, I think the plan is they'll come up like second week of April, and we'll just hit it hard. And but I'm I'm never worried about those guys. Like they're yeah. A, the band, the records in the band on stage don't need to talk. Yeah, they can be their own thing at all in my mind like the band has a sound yeah it's it's kind of been in place for 10 years now and uh they, they have a history of just picking up destroyer songs sniffing them deciding if they like them and just like either just eating them or spitting <laughs> them out you know yeah yeah the uh and there's lots of cool playing on the record that they did um a lot of it's you know really manipulated but um i feel like it, a lot of the songs could be um 
kind of laid into in a kind of very visceral and heavy way and maybe just have a, a different quality that way but we'll see you know we haven't yet still us us practicing is still a month away well i'm looking forward to seeing how these songs open up or how they change or how they morph on stage it's been it's been really great spending time with this record and it's always a real treat to talk with you so thank you for taking the time yeah well thank you it's always good last-minute cancellation at the Last Supper. Oh, you prepared us such an exquisite feast, he said. Now what do you call it when every part of the bird is used? Thanks for listening to Transmissions. I know we've got a lot of competition for your ears on the internet, and we're honored that you've opted to listen to our program today. Labyrinthitis is available March 25th from Merge Records. I've dropped a few songs from it in the show notes, which you can find over at Aquarium Drunkard, along with uh, 16 years of uh, great mixtapes and features and radio shows and interviews and lanyap sessions and so much more you can support aquarium drunkard in its independent media mission by checking us out over on patreon uh you can help support us and help us keep making the stuff that we make plus get access to bonus audio and uh the ad philomath print zine I'm Jason P. Woodbury. I write, host, and produce Transmissions. Our audio is edited by Andrew Horton, and our show is executive produced by Justin Gage. We are part of the TalkHouse Podcast Network. Next week on the show, we are joined by Ryan Walsh of Hallelujah the Hills and author of Astral Weeks, A Secret History of 1968. We're going to talk about the Beatles, Van Morrison, the paranormal, and much more. Thanks for listening to Transmissions. We appreciate you so much. Uh... This transmission is concluded. Tintoretto, I think it's for you. Do you remember the mythic beast? Do you remember the sound of it singing? Ring the steel bell, I don't feel well. I confess I don't feel much like singing. Dust tombs got three words, ding, ding, ding. Now, repeat after me.